0: following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Now the other blessing that's true in in my life today, especially, is my friend Kyle. So Kyle's going to come up here. Um, Kyle's somebody who's been part of Artisan for a while now, and he and Lizzie moved away, and now they're back, which is wonderful. And um, I was teaching the Journey Together class, our membership course yesterday, which I shared with you earlier, and that means like six hours of talking for me. And so my capacity to preach is uh, nil today. It's negative capacity. And so Kyle has very graciously agreed to uh, give a, a homily based on a lectionary text. Kyle attend, attended and graduated from the same seminary that I did. So like I said earlier, go golden things. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a very sporty place, but um, Kyle has a great heart for the gospel and a great mind for, for um, the scriptures. And uh, so we're glad to have him. Thank you for being here, Kyle. Yeah.
1: Uh, I am grateful to be with you this morning, and um, my wife and I are extremely grateful to be back here. This community has meant a whole lot to us uh, as a space where we can come together uh, and grow together um, and be ourselves and to experience God with you. Um, I sat through Scott's six hours of talking yesterday, and as much as I love you, I'm I'm so glad that you're not preaching today, too. <laughs> um, um, and uh, if you don't know me, my my wife last night, as I was preparing, she said, uh, how are you doing? And I said, I'm, uh, you know, uh, understandably a little bit nervous. And she said, you don't have to worry. Um, nobody's going to recognize you. And I said, because uh, I'm not, you know, slumming it like I normally do to church, wearing my hat and my pajamas. Uh, she said, no, I was like, because we just got back from Philadelphia. She said, no. I said, why? And she said, because um, you're an awkward introvert and you go to the bathroom during passing of the peace. So. I've seen some of you there, so I'm not alone. Um, but that is that is me, and that is my wife and I's relationship in a nutshell. <laughs> um, I will be reading from uh, the lectionary text today, and I, I I love that we are jumping into the lectionary as we join the rest of uh, of the body of Christ in uh, the same worship texts. Um, I'll be reading from Romans thirteen eight to fourteen, and you can find that on page uh, 920. and nine hundred and 23 uh, in the red Bibles uh, in the seat back in front of you. Romans 13, 8 to 14 says this Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word love. Your neighbor as yourself, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we came, when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honourably. As in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, and two of my favorite words, not in debauchery and licentiousness, uh, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, uh, primarily seeking aid in his missionary journey to Spain. And if I was writing a letter trying to raise money, I would not write it as lengthy or as heady as Paul does here. But nonetheless, that is what he's doing. Um, But as we come to the end of this letter um, of Paul challenging and encouraging uh, the Roman church, I'm so glad that the lectionary text skipped the first 13 verses. Because some verses of the Bible, I'm just not... I just uh, struggle with, uh, and I will leave that one to Scott for another day, and maybe you will or will not preach on that text, but I'm glad I don't have to today. Um, but in that piece, Paul moves from his obligation, uh, the Christian obligation to civil authorities, to the government, to the Roman Empire, to the obligation of love for one another. And throughout this letter, uh, this, this lengthy letter, Paul uh, hits on many things. Primarily, he's hitting on the love that God has for God's people. He talks about uh, the love or lack of love that God's people have for God. Um, But now he turns to humanity's love for one another. He says this in verse 8. Owe no one anything. Except. Except to owe them everything, which is to owe them love. And in this text, uh, we, we see this kind of oxymoronic thing that says, Ow, owe them nothing, but owe them everything that is love. Um, and this is an eternal debt, a debt that those who claim to follow Jesus, the King, the Messiah, um, they can't cast off. It's a perpetual, unending debt that is incurred, and it's the debt of love. And then Paul says that this love is the summation of the Mosaic Law. That in the new age, that in the age that has been initiated by Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, that love is not the icing on the cake of the law. It's not a substitution for the law, but love is the essence of the law. It is getting exactly at what the law had been aiming at for God's people. But I think especially in... In this age, um, we have made a mess out of love. We have made our ideas and our expressions of love complicated and confusing. Um, we enjoy parsing our words to determine who's in and who's out, who we're obligated to and who we're not. And we English speakers have done an especially good job with the word love by trying to make it do too many things in the same breath, I can say, I love Fuego coffee and I love my wife or my children uh, in the same breath. We've tried to make it do too many things. We've even come to a place where we use, um, we, we disguise our meanness and our exclusionary tactics with things like tough love. And I think that there's a better way to understand it. And I think the better way to understand love is that love does not exist. Love does not exist except for that love brings all things into existence. Love does not exist, but it brings all things into existence. Um, I'm not quite caught up on my, my metaphysics or quantum physics or whatever this might fall into, but I don't believe that love can be uh, examined in a lab that it can be poked and prodded that it can be put under a microscope to be analyzed but peter rollins who's a christian philosopher and theologian says that love is fundamentally a mystery that love is something that we are immersed in love is not something we see but it is that which helps us see everything just like light i don't i don't see light i don't from the sun or from the lights in this room, but light is what allows us to see everything. In the same way, love is the reality that allows us to see one another and the world rightly. Love does not exist except for that it brings everything and calls everything into existence. Uh, We go through life encountering people every day. But people tend to become just objects, just means to our end. Um, they're a coffee handed over the counter of Starbucks or Fuego or Ugly Duck, wherever you choose your coffee from. They are an Uber ride to our next destination. They are a coworker helping me meet a deadline. Um, and they've become objects. They've become a means to an end. But when we truly love people in this way... In the way that fulfills the law, we truly see one another. And we are able to bridge the gap between who people currently are and who they are becoming. In the beginning of Genesis, there's a story. um, And the story is written, um, to. typically historians believe that this story is written to the Babylonians in exile. And in a time where where the Jewish people, sorry, the Jewish people in Babylonian exile, forgive me, um, and the Jews are trying to claim who they are, and they tell this story. That in darkness, that in the beginning, there is an empty void, an inky blackness, an empty nothingness, and in God's overflowing communal and creative love comes people and comes plants, and comes animals, and comes all that is good and beautiful. And in this overflowing, life-giving love that God has within God's self, God calls humanity to be co-creators, to become co-participants in the creating of a beautiful world, to love the world and each other, and to cause it to flourish. Love does not exist. Love calls all things into existence. If we give ourselves to love, if we participate fully in the work of bringing forth love, we are bringing about the kingdom of God. We are bridging the gap between what is and what could be. We are calling each other to a more complete and deep wholeness, and holiness love takes the dirt and the grime of the world it embraces the difficulty and the shortcoming it sits in brokenness and in weakness love makes the mundane sacred love is the radical absolute commitment to the depth and infinite value of the other For us to become fully human um, is an important thing. And we need one another to call us from where we are, to sit with us in, in between of who we are and who we are becoming and call us one step closer to that reality. Love calls us to reimagine and enact a world that is better, that we can be better. We love them when we embrace people Um, in the in-between of who they are and who they are becoming. It says, let's struggle together. Then Paul goes on to a list, a portion of the law that this love fulfills. Um, He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this phrase is first uttered in the law in Leviticus 19, and then is grabbed a hold of and embraced and expanded on by Jesus in Matthew 5. And then Paul takes a hold of it here. And he says, the essence of the whole law is this, love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, if you truly see them, then you will not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor and you are seeking their well-being, you will not commit murder. If you love them, you won't steal from them. If you love your neighbor, you'll be delighted that they have good things that they have enough to live on, that they have nice clothes and an attractive house um, and things that you might not. Because love will allow us to be glad for them. Often we try to narrow the scope. and We say that my love is only for fill in the blank. That, they're only, that my love is only for those who think or act or are like me. But Jesus, when he's asked, who is my neighbor, tells a story and calls us to reimagine who our neighbor would be. And in that story, he expands it to the place that our neighbor, the one that we are to love like ourselves, is the one who is most despised among us, the one who is the most different, the one um, who is the hardest to love, and that we would encompass those people in our definition. And then he goes on, verse 11. He says, besides this, you know what time it is. I know that it's almost football time. Um, He says, now how it is the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near." There's little reason to argue that Paul thought that Jesus was coming in his time. But we look back at 2,000 years of church history and we know that that's not the reality. Paul is not insisting on a particular timing of full salvation or the coming of the kingdom or the second coming of of Jesus, whatever you want to call it, Paul is urging the Roman Christians to be prepared at all times. That at all times they are clothed with this love that is actually bringing the kingdom into our present reality. The present age is rumbling on. And most people are ordering and orienting their lives around that age, around that age's habits and activities and ways. But the kingdom of God has already broken in. That the good work of Jesus is that the kingdom is here, but we know that it is not yet. In my grogginess, when I first wake from sleep, my wife will tell you it takes me, I think I set like eight alarms in the morning. So in that two hours of snoozing, I know that in my grogginess, I'm not quite aware of what's happening. That when my wife is getting ready, it's kind of in and out. Or when there's a knock on the door, I'm not fully there. Or this morning, we're watching my my wife's parents' dog and it's peeing on the floor. I was not. I'm not fully awake. That made me awake. But Paul is saying that at all times we should not be in this state of grogginess, in this in-between of, well, it's not here yet, but that we would be fully aware that this is an invitation to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our souls and every other part of our identity to be aware and to love one another and this world. We're already living In the eschaton, we are already uh, living in the in between of the law that that Paul talks about and the coming kingdom. We are in the now and the not yet. And we are all living in between the space of who we are and who we hope to be or who we think that we, we could become and the love for one another. The love that Paul talks about here is the love that bridges the gap. It bridges the gap between what is and what could be. We're waiting this full liberation. We're at two massive hurricanes in in two weeks' time. We are... Just open your newsfeed. You'll see it. We are waiting the full liberation. And we can either be half asleep and groggy, or we can become aware and participate in the kingdom breaking through. Then he goes on, and he exhorts his audience to continue to shed the old ways and to clothe and equip ourselves to fend off those desires. In a sense, when we are in accordance with the works of darkness, we are in an objectivity. We are seeing each other as objects. But when we're truly loving and truly seeing one another, those works of darkness actually cannot cannot exist, and then he goes on he tells us how to do this. he says, "Put on christ i don't know how to do that, but he says, "Put on Christ, and I think that he's trying to say that it is Christ and the work that Christ has done that empowers us to do what we could not do on our own for those clothed as Christ with Christ, we cannot give any forethought or or, uh, or way to our own selfish desires or ambitions, um, but we play the role of Christ. We imitate the life of Christ. And as Philippians 2 says that, though God was, though Jesus was in very form God, in very nature God, Jesus did not count equality with God as something to grasp, as something to take a hold of, as something to exploit, but he cast himself off. And he humbled himself to be a servant of all, even to the point of death. And that that love is so that we could have life, and that is our obligation to one another. So in this in-between time of living in the present world and in our present reality, in the what is now, and as we long for what is not yet, do not get into debt not get into debt, except to regard yourself as in debt to everyone, to love them wholly, to call them into their existence, to bridge the gap. And it requires commitment and action that just as Jesus did, he exhibited kindness and patience and gentleness. Um, Jesus announces that the reign of God has come. Promises the grand fulfillment. And says you get to participate in bringing that about. So, would we let the kingdom of God come wherever we are through our deep and kind and creative love of one another? Amen.
0: For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.